0: Ponder over this question and answer from Pastor Ed Taylor. Why is it
1: that the gospel seems to affect so little people, so few people? And the answer to that is, is that people do not want to change their lives. According to Romans chapter 1, they have created gods on their own image. And this is how they've chosen that, like, especially in our culture, where freedom of choice and freedom to choose is such a value we value and treasure that. And yet we carry that off and we start to value these, these anti, these choices that are anti-establishment. You know, God kind of be seen as the establishment when all the while you're resisting the love of God in your life.
0: This is amazing grace. Glad you could join us for Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor resumes our new study of Daniel. We all have people in our lives that we long to see saved. Maybe it's a spouse, parent, child, or friend that you've been praying for for years. You might be tempted to think they will never come around and give their lives over to Jesus, but that's where today's lesson can really encourage us. Pastor Ed will recall the story of Saul, later to be known as the Apostle Paul. It serves to remind us that no one is beyond the reach of God. Turn to Acts chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 2 as we get started.
1: The voice replied in verse 5, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. And what you, I should say, what you must do. You see, Saul of Tarsus was... As it says in the New King James, he was kicking against the goads. He was fighting a battle. He was wrestling against the truth. He was fighting against the truth, and a goad, a goad was a long, eight-foot-long, sharpened pole that was used to encourage oxen to keep them working when they refused to move, and they would just poke them and keep them moving, keep them moving. As animals were used in agriculture. Remember the Bible was written to an ag- agrarian society. So many of the illustrations, most of the illustrations, they, they were of, of the farm. They were of the land. It's very valuable. We don't so much have that type of society anymore. We're more in an industrial nation. But many still, you know, especially if you, a lot of you guys move to the east so you can get some land and you can work some land and you can have that. that that's, why are you kicking against the goads? Why, why is it that I have to keep prodding you along? And I wonder in Saul's, what was it that kept prodding him along? Can you think in your own life, you don't need to answer now, but can you think in your own life what was prodding you? Was it a coworker that kept prodding you? I mean, I mean it was just fine while that desk was empty. And then so-and-so got the job. And they just wouldn't stop talking about God. The last thing you wanted to hear, because that's how you were raised. That's what your grandmother used to tell you. Yeah, yeah, the Bible that they gave you for Christmas, the one that's on the shelf, that's collecting dust. And every day you had to go to work. I mean, it was so bad you thought about getting another job. It was so bad you're like, man, I would rather be unemployed than talk about God again. And you were being goaded along. Why are you fighting against the people that God has sent to you? I mean, was it guilt? You know, God used guilt a lot in my life. Not the kind of guilt that, you know, religious guilt that moved you, but I had an understanding, not, not a full understanding from with God's eyes, but I had somewhat of an understanding of the hurt I was causing people. It didn't take a rocket scientist to look on my parents' face and see the disappointment in their eyes in some new thing I did or some new, you know, pick me up in jail or whatever it was that I did. It didn't take... And then later on, it didn't take much to see the disappointment in Marie's mom's eyes of the pain and hurt I caused her daughter and I caused her. Or it didn't take long to see, like, like I, I would lay down at night. I didn't cry out to God. I didn't, I didn't want to get my life right. But I sure wasn't happy with where my life was. And that unhappiness was a goad. It, it, was, it was a goad to move me toward God. I can look back now and see and hear the voice of God because before the Bible describes a person that's not saved as blinded to spiritual things. You don't see those things. That's why it can be so frustrating when you're sharing the gospel with someone and they go, I just don't get it. And they just resist it. I don't want anything to do with it. And you're like, you practice in the mirror for four hours. You had all the right verses. You had them all highlighted. You wrote them down. You memorized it. It was the best gospel presentation you ever gave. And the answer from the person was, "Nah, man, not interested. What? Well, because they're spiritually blind. Only God can open their eyes. Never forget that as you're sharing the love of God with people, some people plant, some people water, but it's only God that gives the increase. And on occasion, we get to be there and see the increase. But never think that it was you <laughs> that gave the increase. Only God opened spiritual eyes to spiritually dead people. What, the goal, what were the goats? Certainly, Paul had to wrestle with the testimony of Stephen. Your testimony is so powerful. Your steadfast commitment to Jesus Christ, is so wonderful in a world where it's so easy to give up and throw in the towel, and go on to something else. In a world that just flips through the phone, picture after picture, and just keep going through, and I go to this, and I can go to that, and I can be, like the world needs this steady example of commitment. I'm sure Stephen got to him, and he couldn't shake it. Not, not only the standing testimony, but Stephen's dying words were gracious and forgiving. I'm sure another goad were the testimonies of Christians that he was attacking. They weren't denying Jesus because they faced imminent death. They weren't denying Jesus because they were gonna lose all their possessions. They they were steadfast. And I know there are many people that seem hard to reach, the intelligent, the religious, especially those that are fighting the truth, those that are kicking the goads, the long pointed sticks of conviction, of their own conscience, and the truth of the gospel. And like Saul, they know the truth is right, and like Saul it would make perfect sense to them. And like Saul they fight so hard against the truth because it's penetrating and they don't literally want to change their lives. You wonder why is it that the gospel seems to affect so little people, so few people. And the answer to that is is that people do not want to change their lives. According to Romans chapter 1, they have created gods on their own image. And this is how they've chosen that, like, especially in our culture, where freedom of choice and freedom to choose is such a value. We value and treasure that. And yet we carry that off and we start to value these, these anti, these choices that are anti establishment. You know, God kind of be seen as the establishment when all the while you're resisting the love of God in your life. Is that you? Is that you today? You're so caught up in the. The latest cause, you're so caught up in the, in the latest secular teaching, just emphasizing humanity and, and the secular humanistic view of life and, and just how there's no limitation. You know, it's so funny that you see commercials, they go, you can do anything you want. Do you know that's not true? You can't do anything you want. It's not possible. It's impossible. So just in case you see that commercial, I just saw recently, you can do any, you can be anything you want to be. Not true. You cannot. I'm sorry to break the bad news to you, but you cannot be anything you want to be. You can't. There's a lot of things you'll never be. But that's not negative. That's not a bad thing. Because when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you will be exactly how he created you to be. And that God will use you and your talents and the treasures and the intelligence that he's given to you. The education and the places where you are. And he will place you in this world to be who he wants you to be. And you'll live in such great peace and contentment. Saul of Tarsus encourages me that God has a salvation plan for every single person on the planet earth. There's absolutely no one outside of the reach of God's love. Notice verse 6 now. He says, I'm Jesus, the one who you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. This is such irony from God, isn't it? He is on his way to Damascus with great authority, with great power, with great strength, with great determination. And and he's going to fulfill what he believes is the best thing for his life. He's going to just single, I believe part of Saul's heart was he's going to single-handedly destroy Christianity. That's the kind of guy he was. And how does he end up going into Damascus? Blind, being led like a baby by the hand. God has a way. getting your attention. God has a way of getting our attention. Even if you have it all figured out, even if you think you know it all, God has a way to reveal to you that you don't. Some people ask in this section of chapter 9, well where exactly is it that Saul got saved? Because I don't see him here raising his hand or coming forward to the altar. I don't see him confessing the Lord Jesus with his mouth and believing in his heart that God raised him from the dead. He doesn't respond to an altar call. He doesn't have some formulaic confession of faith. So where did it happen and how did it happen? Well, the good news is, is that there is no formula to salvation. (laughs) There is no formula. You know, when we gather together as a church family, I'll usually ask for some type of outward response to an invitation. But even as you watch Jesus give invitations, the response was different. So may the Lord protect us from some sense of formula when it comes to people following Jesus Christ. Where is it that it happened here? It has to happen somewhere in this section. And I tell you, I believe it happens in his response. Somehow between verse 4 and 5, a quickening of Saul's spirit took place. And when he says, who are you, Lord? Lord. I believe Saul knows exactly who it is, the one that he's been fighting all along, the one that he's been persecuting, and this is the place of surrender. I believe that this is where he was converted in this moment. And did it require him to raise his hand? Yes or no? Did it require him to pray a sinner's prayer? No. Did it require him to walk the aisle and the altar? No. None of those are bad in and of themselves. But none of them save. Only God saves. And he uses a variety of ways to do that. Oh, it's true. It's true that salvation comes through confession of mouth. A confession of your mouth, a, a lifestyle. And you read the rest of, of Saul, Tarsus's life, I would say that his life is a confession of his salvation. Wouldn't you? I mean, the brother was an amazing man of God. He was used by God to, to write, and in, God inspired half of the New Testament through this brother. There's a confession over and over again, Saul, who we later know as Paul, uh, he confesses. and not only does he confess, but he expresses that belief over and over again. And I do believe there's a beginning point, and there's a theological word for that. I don't, I'm not going to expand it for you, for us today, but I do want to share it with you, because it's important to understand the pathway of salvation. When a person is saved, he is immediately justified by God. And that's known theologically as justification. Justification happens instantly. It's a legal term that's used to refer to the erasing of sin in a person's life by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have learned, have we not, church, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is forgiveness found in no other but the blood of Jesus Christ. And His blood completely forgives. And a great way to remember this word justification is to break it down. And it's, it's the perspective that God has toward a person that's born again. And you can think of justification that God now sees you just as if I never sinned. It is a legal term of standing and position. That's what born again means. And yet... When a person's born again, if you respond to the gospel today and you're going to leave, you know, this is all going to happen in a few minutes, and then you're going to leave the building, one of the things you'll be surprised about is that you continue to sin. And you're like, wait a minute, man, I'm a believer. I I love Jesus Christ. Why do I still sin? Because the process after justification is a lifelong process. There's a Bible word for that. You ready? It's called sanctification sanctification. The idea of that word sanctify in the English means to be set apart. And the idea of this word sanctification is that ongoing process on the inside of God working in you, conforming you, changing you into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's ongoing. Some of you are farther ahead than us. Some of you are lagging behind but we're all on the potter's wheel. That's what was trying to be described by Jeremiah when God wanted to show Jeremiah that he would send him into a potter's house so he could see the potter fashion the clay. It took some time. You can put the lump of clay on there, justification, but it was a long time to work it together and weave it together. That's sanctification. But then when that... That pot is taken off and it's, it's fired and, and it's finished and it's taken and it's put on the shelf. There's a final word and you can look at these things. We went in depth in the book of Romans. So if you go on the app or you go on our website, calvaryco.church, uh, you go on the app, you can put these words in the search bar and we studied them in depth when we were in Romans. So those studies are available. But you've got justification is a one time. Happens at when you're born again. Sanctification is the entirety of your human life. And then the final thing, when you die and meet Jesus face to face, you will have the sum of everything, and that's known as glorification. That's when you arrive. Right now, none of you have experienced glorification. There isn't one of us in this room, one of us listening in, that have arrived. So stop saying you've arrived. Stop thinking you have arrived. God is declaring to you today with my voice, you haven't arrived. God is still working in you and through you using all the circumstances in your life to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Where was Paul saved? I think that response was the culmination of his lifelong desire to be right with God. Can you spend your whole life in religion and not be right with God? Yes. Can you spend your whole life in religious activity and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Yes. Can you be in this church family your entire life and never be born again? Yes. It's not just for the big churches or the big religions or the world religions. It happens right where you are. It is possible for you to spend your whole life religiously acting like you're okay with God and yet be disconnected from Jesus Christ. And the good news is that God loves you so much that He will reach you and He will do whatever it takes. It says in verse 9, That by the time he comes to Damascus, he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. His life is forever changed. And there is more to the chapter that I would encourage you to read and maybe even listen online when we went through the book of Acts. But I love the other perspective here. Since we're studying the book of Daniel, we'll jump back into Daniel next time. But uh, I love the perspective here because the very next verse in verse 10 is so cool. You know, you've got to understand the sense of humor of God. It says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in vision saying, Ananias, and he had the right answer, right? Yes, Lord. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. And then verse 13, Ananias says, no way. Basically is what he said. But it says here, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Ananias says, no way am I going to that guy. He's got permission to destroy my life. And God's answer was, go. Go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to kings as well as to people of Israel, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. In verse 17, Ananias went, found Saul, laid his hands on him. Thank God for reaching the Sauls in our lives. And might I add, thank God for the Ananiases of you that will obey God and go to the people that need you the most. The hands, the feet, of Jesus Christ on the earth today. Because of this encounter on the road to Damascus, the world was literally turned upside down. That's the power of one man, one man. There may be times in your life where you see yourself as insignificant or you don't really make a difference after all or God can't really use you or you just never measure up. And the story, the true story of the Bible is that God we will use you to turn the world upside down, beginning with your world and the people that you influence because you're very important to God and very important to the people that love you, the people that are closest to you. And may we find ourselves in a place praying and not giving up on those closest to us because no one, absolutely no one, say it with me again, no one is outside the reach of God. Isn't that great?
0: It most certainly is. We've been in Acts chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 2 today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, the big takeaway from today's lesson is no one is beyond the reach of God. So can you think of a person other than Saul and King Nebuchadnezzar that at one time fit that description of appearing unreachable, and yet God did a
1: miracle in their life and saved them? Yeah, I can think of a person that's unreachable. Me, Uh, but biblically, there's a lot of other people, but I mean, seriously, if you would have seen my life, you would have interacted with me. You would have been close to me, like my parents, my wife, my friends, my relatives, my party buddies, whatever it would, whoever was close to me would have said that dude's lost. I mean, they don't even, I don't even think they would have used biblical terms. They would have just said that dude's lost. Uh, he, if there is a hell, he's going to it. He doesn't care. And on and on the list goes. And so I would put myself in there. But thinking of a biblical example, another one, I think of Rahab. Can't you see her as being unreachable, living a life just in the culture that she's in, selling her body for money? Um, That that was her livelihood. Just never really having an opportunity to meet the God of Israel but uh, in her mind, but she's heard about him. And there we are. Joshua comes with his military campaign, sends the spies in, they they just so happen, uh, nothing happens by chance, uh, and so I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, by the way, it, it just so happens that they go to her house, talk to her, she ta- has that dialogue, and they say, hey, look, make sure when the city's destroyed, you put that red cord, and not only will you be spared and saved, but so will your family, everybody inside. So her house becomes a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. If you were in the house, you're saved. If you're in Christ, you're saved. And Rahab, who would have thought of all the people in Jericho, she would have been the one. And when I see someone like Rahab, I just think, hey, look, up and down here in in Colorado, here in Denver, there's a street that and you guys in Colorado know this. There's a street known as Colfax. That's where a, a lot of the prostitution takes place all throughout Denver and they're up and down Colfax. There are uh, people that if you're not careful, you'll write them off. You'll just say, and and I'm sure there's a street in your city, in your town, there's an area of your community where difficulties have caused people to do things uh, to make money that don't glorify God at all. They're just down and out and have a difficult life, and I pray for all the ministries that go up and down Colfax. Colfax is not the only street, but it, it has a well-known reputation of having a great need for the love and mercy and compassion. Listen, we are surrounded by the lost. We are surrounded by people that have been written off. I think of the entirety of the Calvary Chapel family of churches, we were the written-off outcasts of our day, literally and yet never written off, never unreached by God. Don't give up on the people you love. Don't give up on the people that you see. Don't give up, and, and actually don't even pull out, but press in. Don't pull out of the of the race, but press in to the race so that you can be used of God to bring the hope of the gospel. Our world's full of unreachables. Maybe you're an unreachable listening to me. That might even be offensive to you. like, what do you mean I'm unreachable? Well, you just look at your life and you're not in relationship with God. And I want to remind you today that Jesus loves you and he died for your sins. And I don't care what people say about you. I don't care how people treat you and even how your family, whatever. God doesn't treat you that way. He loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. So come to him today. Reach out to us. Go to our website, calvaryco.church. Scroll down to the bottom where it says, how to know God. And let's dialogue. There's an email thing there. You can connect with us. Love to hear from you. Thanks, Larry, for that question. What an encouraging way to wrap things up today. And friend,
0: if you'd like to give this a second listen, stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Tom Doyle called Standing in the Fire. As followers of Christ, we need to know what it means to stand courageously for our faith in a climate of fear. In standing in the fire, you'll read about those who did stand strong rather than run away in the face of overwhelming danger. I know you'll be encouraged. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877 877-30- 30 Grace. Join us each day on Abounding Grace as we continue our journey through Daniel with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace.